And I just thought that actuarial science was going to be my career forever. But at some point after I was in the global department for about three years, I couldn't find a director role that I was interested in. So I moved to another company, which was a consulting startup, and I was bamboozled. <laughs> they ran out of money in like five months. I found myself without a job because they were like, hey, we ran out of money. You have no more job. So I was like, well... I should search for something else. It took another couple months before I got a pretty good offer at another consulting firm that I liked. But during the whole job search process, I just put all my time into GeoBreeze. It started making quite a bit of money. And at that point, I said, yeah, I think I'll just turn down this job offer and go all in. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today in the podcast is Julia Menez, point strategist and founder of GeoBreeze Travel. GeoBreeze Travel is a platform that focuses on travel hacking and providing insights on maximizing the potential of credit card points and miles for remarkable travel experiences and financial growth. And prior to GeoBreeze, Julia worked for nine years as an actuary at, for Cigna Health. Interesting. We're going to talk about that transition. In addition to her great and viral social media content when she breaks down bite-sized hacks on travel. She also hosts a GeoBreeze travel podcast with my buddy Rich Cardona uh, producing. Thank you so much, Rich, for connecting us. And after traveling to more than 30 countries before the age of 30 and saving thousands of dollars each year with points and miles, Julia distills the strategies from top award travelers around the world and the GeoBreeze travel podcast and creates content how to use everyday business and personal expenses to earn luxury travel for next to no cost. I mean, I think it's what everybody's trying to do these days. And we have an expert on the show. I'm excited for it. Julia, welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited to join. Well, welcome, welcome. And I love having fellow podcasters on board. Julia was five minutes early and I said to her, thank you for joining five minutes early. She goes, this is what I do for my show. So we're going to we're gonna certainly have a go in here. But look what I didn't do. I'm such a bad podcaster. I didn't turn my light on. How do I do a show and not turn my light on? I knew that something was up. There we go. Now my light is on. Now the NHP light is on, and now we can start to the show. So, Julia, how does? I mean, let's let's tell the story a little bit. Working at Cigna, uh, in in I don't mean actually science. I don't even know what that is. What were you doing? And I assume you were a, a travel enthusiast at the time. Let's hit the rewind button and talk a little bit about your 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 life and career uh, before becoming a professional travel point guru, whatever the proper terminology is. Yeah, so actuaries do deep math, and we try to. All right, then the show's over. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. That's about it. No, I'm kidding. Deep math. That's it. As soon as somebody's like, "Oh God, it's deep math," I don't want to get into that. Deep but math. I actually, way back in the day, I think I was about 14, and they give you these career assessment tests and say, like, "Here's the career track you should look into for what classes you should take in high school." And I liked math better than reading. So it gave me the list of career options and actuary was like the mm. third thing alphabetically. And I said, I'll, I'll do that. Great. And I just kind of decided from there at age 14, this is what I was going to do with crazy the foreseeable rest of my life at that point. I even went to actuary camp when I was 17. It's like normal camp, but they throw insurance lessons in math there. Math camp, math camp. 
No, not just math camp, actuary camp. Actuary camp. I mean, I can't even imagine the fun and excitement. Like, no way. Those actuaries rage harder than anyone you've ever seen before. No? That is true. That is actually Mm. true. Mm. That is, yeah, because we were all not the cool kid in high school. And then suddenly we'll get to it where you're free from exams and then you have a high salary and you have money and you're like, wow, let's go crazy in the world. Um, but that's a whole separate point, podcast right there. Jeez. I mean, oh, depending yeah. if you sign NDAs, right? <laughs> my one tattoo, I got at an actuarial grading party. That's a whole nother story. Is, there, is it, is it like, a, I mean, as much as you care to share, is it, what, what is it? Is it, is it an equation? So I'm not going to lift up my shirt on the podcast, well, what, but well, when it's I look like at a, it, what is it? What is it? What is it? Of? Not to show um, us. It says fire in Filipino script. Cause I'm Filipino. Oh, I love it. Good, good, good stuff there. Um, okay, so we talked about actuary camp here. We said, was there was there a particular moment where you decided, you know, it was time to leave the night? Well, I guess we got to hit the rewind button. At that point, where were you in your travel experience in life? When I was six, we went on our first. I was on my first plane trip. That was to the Philippines, and then from there, it was another eight years before we did another family vacation in the Philippines when I was about fourteen. And then I think we maybe took like one flight to Chicago. And then between those times, the next time I was on a flight was to do interviews in college for when I was Mm. searching for jobs. And after my senior year, I also studied abroad for a summer in China. And then that was a whole fun experience and then got to meet my family in the Philippines right after that as well. So not a ton of travel in my early days, more than some people definitely get to experience, but When I studied abroad, I was like, I want to do this over and over and over again. How can I just get somebody to pay me to -hmm. travel for work, which there's not a lot of international actuaries, but there's a few. And one of the reasons you mentioned I worked at Cigna, one of the reasons I went there was they have an international program for their actuaries. It was one of the only ones where there was any chance that I would get to do an, an international and global role. So... I start my job at Cigna and every time they're like, so where do you want to be in like five to 10 years? I was like, I want to be in the global department. Like I want to be based in Hong Kong or Dubai or like any of our international offices. I want to do international products. Those are hard gigs to get mm-hmm. because it'd be the best of the best internal politics and working your way up the ladder. And they just don't come up very often. Yeah. Like it has to be timed exactly right with when you're looking to rotate anyway. And there has to be something at your level And it's just expensive for companies to get visa paperwork and everything sent out. So it's just a lot and everything has to line up. But eventually, I think I was about like seven years into my career and something opened up in Mm. my global department. So I jumped on it. And that was right when the pandemic hit. So I finally made it to the department I wanted to be in. Now you can't go anywhere. There's no travel. There's absolutely zero travel. So that, that was my whole like attempts at getting my actuarial career to pay for me to get to travel to different places. So in the years leading up to that, when I said, hey, program directors, everybody who's hiring, like I'd like to rotate. And they were like, well, there's nothing available. I thought there has to be somebody else who will just like let me travel without me having to pay for all of it. So kind of got into the points and miles world around 2017 My husband sent me some blogs about personal finance, and I learned about points and miles from there. Dove down a very, very deep rabbit hole. 
I can only imagine figuring out the, and we'll get to that in a second, like percentage formulas, cost per mile. And, and, and I know just for a little fun fact here, everybody, during my tenure at Delta, I was working on the Delta Amex card. So I really started to get an understanding of the cost per, per mile. And we'll get into that in a little bit because I think that's one of the critical elements when evaluating a point opportunity. But I want I want to talk for a second about um, China. What was one of those? Um, I assume you might have had expectations when you traveled there, but what was one of those expectations you thought you had? But when you got there and spent time living there, it was completely wrong. Um, the trains were very different. So we we went all the way across China. We we did. Shanghai, Hangzhou, sometime in Beijing, and, fully across Xi'an, the and yeah, Tibet, like all country. the way across yeah. the country. So that is a 50 hour train ride from Tibet to Beijing. And our budget would allow for certain accommodations. Nothing like what my travel C- style is now. Cattle, cattle class. <laughs> yeah. The bathroom there on this train, because this is what we could afford. There was like a barn door into the bathroom and there's a hole in the ground. And as a girl, this is very difficult to maneuver on a moving train. And there, like, there's a hole and you just see train tracks like going you through. You kind of have to hover a little bit. You kind of have lot. to hover. You kind of have to aim. Yeah. And for anybody who's like use a garden hose, there's like shower setting and oh, there's God. like jet stream setting. It's just harder as a girl. So you're wearing like we'll hiking shoes in there. There's a flesh lever. It, it's a fire, um, fire, sprinkler that just like washes out the whole room so i was there was nothing in all of the guidebooks i read that was going to prepare me for that experience but you had to adapt on the fly and figure things out and oh my god i can't even imagine that um are you a foodie did you did your travels take you to i mean for me for me when i travel i'm a somewhat moderately seasoned world traveler for me, the, f- the food is really kind of the, the main attraction in a lot of the places I visit. Um, what was your first taste of exotic food? Was it in the Philippines, something that really caught your attention? Maybe food that you used to at home that's prepared differently, you know, in the Philippines versus at home. Exotic to me is very different than other people. So I grew up in Missouri where food that's exotic is not, to me. I'm it's not particularly <laughs> exotic, but we just had like home cooked Filipino meals the whole time. And I remember like a lot of seafood was just normal to me. I was just like opening like huge crabs and then there was squid, there was everything. Um, but the first time, I think I was like five and I saw Jello. It like freaked me out because the, wow. <laughs> it was jiggly. And the, so the commercial tagline in 1995, when I was five, so everybody can figure out how old I am, um, was like, it's alive and it just freaked me out. So yeah, that was my exotic food when I was in kindergarten was Jello. Everything else from the oh ocean was normal That's funny. to me. So let's, let's talk about the move. What was that moment where you kind of started to get into understanding the travel points? You're going down the rabbit hole when like pandemic comes along, you couldn't travel there. Was that the aha moment? When was the aha moment when you said, I'm done, I'm going full time on this? I know you were starting to create content, you were building this out, but like when was that, that, that aha moment, Julia? I never actually thought that this hobby was going to be what I do for my life. There, Everybody in entrepreneurship seems to have a story of like, and then I slapped my boss and said like, forget this. And I stormed out of the office. Screw you, I'm out. I didn't have that. I just did this as a <clears throat> hobby to kind of preoccupy myself because actuaries have to take a whole bunch of exams to get credentialed. And once that's done, you don't know what to do with those 80 hours a week anymore that you're usually studying. So I filled my time with just studying points and miles. 
So I didn't think this was going to be my career. I started the podcast simply because I was lonely during the pandemic and I wanted to talk with other points people. And this was the podcast is always a good excuse to say like, hey, do you want to hang out and talk for an hour? And I just thought that actuarial science was going to be my career forever. But at some point after I was in the global department for about three years, I couldn't find a director role that I was interested in. So I moved to another company, which was a consulting startup. And I was bamboozled. They ran mm-hmm. out of they ran out of money in like five no months. Runway. Yep. There was there was not. So I found myself without a job because they were like, hey, we ran out of money. You have no more okay, job. You can go back. Right. You could have, but not the same. Been five months. So I was like, well, mm. I should search for something else. It took another couple months before I got a pretty good offer at another consulting firm that I liked. But by then, during the whole job search process, I just put all my time into GeoBreeze. It started making quite a bit of money. And at that point, I said, yeah, I think I'll just turn down this job offer and go, go all in. in and spend that way since. Where'd the name GeoBreeze come from? My sister actually made up that name. It was supposed to be like geo means earth and breeze means like it's easy. So making it easy to was, travel the world. Julia, was there was there anything during your time in corporate America that really helped prepare you for going out on your own? A lot of people always ask, a lot of our analysts will ask, what is the point of all of these actuarial exams that take hundreds of hours of time to prepare for, even if it doesn't actually relate to the job? And I would always just tell them, at some point, the job's going to be hard and you're going to want to quit. And these exams are just for building mm-hmm. emotional resilience at this point. And it's very useful in entrepreneurship to just be like, I've been through worse than this. I made it through that exam process. And I think resilience. like more than Excel skills or any particular healthcare law that I had to study, just knowing like you've been through something that sucked, you'll make it through this day on whatever your entrepreneurial journey is, that's probably the most important thing that came out of it. Right. It's, it's bootcamp. So, so let, let's get into it, right? Like for people that are unfamiliar, let's talk about overall point strategy, right? The concept of it, uh, the gamification elements to it, how folks could approach it. Let's, let's, let's kind of start top of funnel and we'll work our way down. I always tell people to do the exact opposite and work from work backwards, figure out where you want to go and then figure out how to make it happen. So once you pick a destination or somewhere that you want to go, some airline business class or first class product that you want to experience, from there, figure out who even flies those routes. So instead of just being an overall point collector, I mean, are we talking about specific, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but like, are we talking about just a general like approach? Like if you've never gotten into points, maybe you had a frequent flyer card here or there to think about destination first and work that way. I like that approach. Yeah, a lot of people tried to go top of funnel and they're like, I'm going to learn about 30 different points programs. And then it's very overwhelming. And then you try to collect all these points and then figure out the best way to use them. And then you realize you maybe got some different types of points that don't fit well together. It's way easier to go backwards and just say, I want to take a first class trip to Japan. Here's the routes I'm going to need to fly. Here's how much it's going to cost. Here's the kind of points I need. And then let that determine how you're going to earn those points, what credit cards you're going to open, where you're going to move your points around. It just makes it a lot easier to get a trip that you want faster if you take a more focused surgical approach rather than trying to figure out everything and then piece everything together. Because 
you're just trying to get your arms around so much information if you work that way. Right. So, but, but for example, let's just say, let's just take me for example, I'm a Delta loyal loyalist through and through Delta loyalist is literally the only airline I will fly unless there's no other choice. I have multiple Delta personal cards, business cards, all that accumulate there um, and everything. So let's just say, for example, that I want to go to Japan and Delta is not the, the best option. And I've already accumulated all these points. I already have another credit card. And I don't want to open up another credit card, Julia. Like, what, what's kind of the strategy there? If you only have Delta points to work with, it's going to make it harder, which is why we recommend going with flexible points, the Chase, Chase Amex, Sapphire. Yeah, Capital One points, built points. Those are going to make it a lot easier because then you have options to move your stuff around. So for example, if somebody was a Delta loyalist, but all they had were Chase or Amex or Capital One cards... All of those different types of points I just named can be transferred, not necessarily to Delta, but to Virgin Atlantic. And if you're flying a lot right, domestically mm-hmm. with Delta, they're in the same alliance. And you can get Delta flights for about half the points cost if you book it through Virgin Atlantic instead. See, that's the hack that I that people need to understand, too, is understand. Let's, let's talk about this for a little bit. I mean, I kind of know it, but I'd love to hear from you and explain to my audience the, the way you calculate the value of a point and also talk a little bit about transfers and, and when, when there's advantageous opportunities for for double miles, one and a half and, and how to kind of work the system. Two questions. Yeah. yeah. So. As far as the value per point, the most common metric out there is cents per point. And to calculate the value of that, you're going to see, okay, here's a flight I want to book. Here my, here's how much it costs with money. Here's how much it costs with points. You're going to take the money price, divide it by the points price, and that's going to give you a cents per point. So for example, if there's a flight that costs $200 or 10 cent or 10,000 points, you're just going to take 200 divided by 10,000. That should be about 0.02. That's a decent redemption. So that's how you do cents per point. It does tend to overwhelm people, especially beginners. So if you're trying to fly a business class and you're like, is this a good redemption? Is this not a good redemption? What's a good cent per point? I just usually tell people, don't worry about it. The threshold you should use is 10,000 points per hour that you get in business class. So if it's going to take eight hours for you to fly between the US and Europe, I would say... Don't spend more than eighty thousand points for that. Wow, that's that's an that's an interesting one. I mean, sometimes you see that like you know, back a napkin is double that, right? Because if it's a premium flight, I also kind of think. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong on Delta. When I look at miles to points, it's almost a dollar per. It's almost a dollar to point kind of ratio if you're you're doing a redemption. Is that true? That's the earning ratio. So the earning and the burning ratios are very different. Where for if reason, you're using right? a that arbitrage Delta is how they make money. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the Delta cards, you're going to earn one point per dollar. But when you redeem it, you're probably only going to get one cent, one and a half cents per point with Delta most of the time. And does that same concept make make sense for being able to pay down the, the dollar cost for a flight with miles? I would not cash out your points to pay down the dollar cost. I would instead find a program that has some kind of award chart. And this is where you can find sweet spots where you can get like 10 cents per point. You're going to get four or five or 10 times as much value versus just cashing out your points to say, oh, this is a $5,000 flight. Let's cash out 500,000 points in order to pay for that flight. That's not the best use of points. You can often get $5,000 flights for 
50 or 60,000 points instead of 500,000 points. Do you generally, do you generally see the hotel? I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to sound like such, you know, call me out on this one. I, I generally think, cause I, I have, I also have the Chase Sapphire and I also have my Amex Platinum, my, my Amex non-Delta Platinum, my business Platinum, which I, which I use for hotels. I, I sometimes think the, the value on a hotel for a point transfer is better than airlines. Is that true? I just think I'm getting a better deal. Depends on the hotel. I'm team Hyatt because when you transfer Chase points over to Hyatt, you can often get about two cents per point, sometimes mm. a lot more. I've stayed at all-inclusive hotels like Lila Lila, Ventana, Big Sur in California, nice which is super fancy. And it's about 40,000 points per night, which is pretty expensive. But if you were to pay in cash, a lot of those rooms can go for $3,000 per night. So you're getting what, seven and a half cents per point um, there. So that's a really, really good use of chase points. I have found it is a little bit more difficult to get those high redemptions with the other big three, mm-hmm. Hilton, IHG, and Marriott, because their points prices are tied to the cash price of the room. So it'll fluctuate proportionally to how much they're actually charging for the room. Whereas with Hyatt, they just say, this hotel costs this many points regardless of what we're charging on a given day. That's so it's so interesting to play the game. I mean, I, I do it all the time. And I, and I like on the Chase website that it shows you the cost also of the room. And then I also do my due diligence and I open up the the, the hotel booking site. I run different, like, you know, there's Chrome extension. What's your favorite Chrome extension for travel and points? Um, there are a couple. So I like Rakuten because, so this is a shopping portal one where if you're ever online shopping, you'll get a pop-up that says, click this button, you can earn an extra... 5% with Rakuten or something like that. And it, you don't have to spend any extra money. It's just, it makes it look like Rakuten referred you to that shopping mm-hmm. site. And you get a referral. And you get some cash back. The real trick is that you don't take the cash back in the form of cash back. You can actually convert Rakuten points into American Express points. And they're usually worth about twice as much when you do that versus just cashing it out. That's so a that's pro tip there. Hey, everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. What do you see the biggest mistake that folks are doing with travel redemption? Like, what's one of those like rookie mistakes? Or even like, I see so many pros are just, I mean, they, they think this is the right way to do it. But like when you actually apply your advanced deep math knowledge to it, what are they doing wrong? Using the portal, like redeeming their points through the Chase website or the American Express website or the Capital One website. Chase will say, oh, if you use your Chase Sapphire Reserve, you get an extra 50% um, value when you redeem through our website. That is compared to Capital One or that is compared to American Express. But that's still only getting you 1.5 cents per point. You can do eight times as well, 10 times as well, if you know how to move your points using the different transfer partners, which is where the game gets more complicated. But it's also where you can get a lot more value. And it's how a lot of experts are able to stretch their points so far is they know not to use the actual website to book. They know to move their points to a different airline 
like Virgin Atlantic to get Delta flights. You're not going to be able to get that kind of redemption just using the Chase website. So you're saying, let's say there's a there's a because correct me if I'm wrong. I think Delta and Virgin Atlantic are partners, right? So if I want to take a Virgin Atlantic flight, I'm not going to use my Delta miles directly to on the Delta portal if it says Virgin partner. I'm going to transfer them to Virgin and then or through another portal and then use it through that way. Correct. Correct. If you wanted to see if there's like a good Delta One Suites uh-huh. option, you might be able to get the exact same flight for cheaper by booking through Virgin Atlantic's website. It's still on the Delta plane. Mm-hmm. You're, you can still earn your Delta status by flying that flight, but you're just simply moving your points to Virgin Atlantic first and booking through there. What, what are some of your favorite transfer sites? Virgin Atlantic is one of my favorite because all five of the major points currencies, Chase, Amex, Capital One, Built, American Express, um, all of those will move over. Air France is fantastic for the same reason. Air Canada has so many different transfer partners. I love moving points over to Air Canada and searching from there. So those are probably my top three. British Airways can be pretty useful, um, especially for short hop domestic flights that are operated by American Airlines. A lot of people who think, oh, I fly American Airlines and Chase doesn't move points there. You can't move Amex points there. You can't move Capital One points over to American Airlines so what can I do? Hmm. Oftentimes you can find American Airlines flights for cheaper through British Airways. And Is all three of those car- credit card but, programs I just named can move to British Airways so you can book your American Airlines flights through there instead. But you got you to play the game and you got to be careful like what you're transferring, what you're connecting to, right? Like you got to do your due diligence before you just dump your miles. Is there other fees associated when you transfer miles and how does that play into the equation? There are no fees, but you did mention something that's important. Don't speculatively move your points. Don't you know what you're doing. Yeah, there's, don't a no ba- just, there's a no backsies kind of rule. Well, you can send it back, but then you're going to lose the value going back the other way. You can't send it back. Once you move American Express points over to Air Canada, you can't get them back into American Express. They're just stuck with Air Canada. So a lot of people will see like, oh, well, Julia got this really good redemption through Air Canada. I should move my all my points to Air Canada. Only if you have a trip coming up or something. Once you're ready to book, right? Yes. Only do it once you know how you're going to use them. Otherwise, just keep them stored in American Express because then you have a dozen different transfer partners you can use. But if they're already stuck with Air Canada, you can only use it through Air Canada's site. Which which airline do you feel has the best um, status upgrade potential? With, with credit cards and somewhat decent travel? If somebody is an occasional traveler, I wouldn't even bother with it. I would just book the business class cabin outright. You're going to get all the status perks through there without having to fly much. Interesting. If you do travel quite a bit, like you're a road warrior in the United States, it's just going to depend on your home airport. So there is a, an interesting way to look at this though. So if you're in Atlanta... Pretty much everybody is going to be Delta. a Delta person. Right. Chicago, you're, you're up- American, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to get upgraded on flights because everybody has higher status than you. Everybody's a consultant going between Atlanta and New York. You're not going to get into the lounge because you're last in line. But if you're in Atlanta, it might actually be worth going for United status or American Airlines status because they have some kind of lounge. And it's going to be empty. You're going to be the only one there. You're going to get upgraded because nobody else in the city of Atlanta basically has American Airlines or United status. Everybody went through Delta. 
So if you can kind of game theory it and be greedy where others are fearful, Interesting. When others are greedy, that can be a way to get some pretty good status upgrades as well. Even if you're like, well, American Airlines barely services my airport, but Bye. do they service it enough to where you'll get upgraded? Interesting. That's an interesting point of view. Two, two, two points I want to make on that. First of all, the the Delta the Delta lounge situation in most of the airports has been brutal. They have made it too easy with their credit card where every everybody's in the Delta lounge. And that was one of the big reasons I, you know, when I got my my platinum card, I'm like, wow, finally I could go into the Centurion lounge. Even the Centurion la- lounge at, at JFK gets gets pretty crowded there. Um, Chase has a nice feature too with, with the Chase Sapphire card. They give you the, um, the, uh, the, the global party lounge access, which we found insanely interesting. Pro tip: Mexico City Airport. Um, two different. There's two different terminals there in Mexico City. The Delta, the Centurion Lounge wasn't open yet at the time we arrived, so we went on the priority card and we found this little little lounge in the middle of nowhere. It didn't look that nice. It had oversized couches and manicures, pedicures, and some of the best airline uh, lounge food. Like real, real local Mexican stuff. It was fantastic. So utilizing some of the auxiliary benefits. What are some of those secret auxiliary benefits that come with some of these loyalty programs and credit cards that people may not know about when it comes to travel? Did you get the massages when you were oh, in yeah. that Mexico City lounge? I got, yeah. a, I got, I got, I got a manicure. I'll send you the picture afterwards. Nice. I came back. My, my, my wife and my my wife and my friends were like, I mean, we we literally had a seven hour layover. And we couldn't, what, what Centurion said is you're, you, you could only be here three hours before your flight. And we were like five hours. So we had to find somewhere to go for two hours. And I went in there and I found this little like kind of hole in the wall. And there was a lady sitting there, a very nice Mexican lady doing manicures. I said, you know what? Went in Rome. Yeah. Or Mexico City. Um, auxiliary benefits. So cell phone protection. Always pay your cell phone on something that has cell phone protection. Because if you drop your phone in a pool or something... That's covered as long as you're usually paying your cell phone bill on one of those cards. If you rent cars, then put the fee on on like Hertz or Avis or whatever credit card rental company you're on whatever card rental, sorry, on whatever car rental company you're using. Put it on a card like the Chase Sapphire Reserve that has primary coverage. So that way you don't have to pay the extra insurance mm-hmm. and you're covered for comprehensive and collision damage. Smart. And I feel like the concierge services are very underutilized for things like American Express Platinum. Restaurants, if you're, yeah. Yeah, if you're like, hey, I need I need reservations to this Michelin star restaurant. I need tickets to Beyonce. You can use those concierge services. We'll put together all sorts of things for you. I heard about a guy who he was assigned to like find a restaurant that would accommodate their rehearsal dinner for the wedding. And he just outsourced it. He asked his American Express Platinum concierge, like, hey, can you put together a list of restaurants like within this budget, within this radius of this address? And using a concierge as your VA. I mean, listen, it's built into the price of the card. It's built into the price of the membership fee. It's built into the price of your of the interest rates there. They staff a full team. American Express is some of the best in the business when it comes to so so utilize it. And and I've heard rumors, too, that some restaurants, they, they, they hold a couple of reservations for some of the credit cards for their higher you know, like the Amex Black and some of the unlimited cards. They, they hold a couple of secret reservations. Is there truth to that? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure a lot of the Capital One, I'm pretty sure a lot of the Taylor Swift tickets were already pre-booked by just Capital One, like because a lot of it was sponsored by Capital One. They had their own block in all of the Taylor Swift concerts mm-hmm. that they would just give out to premium Capital One members. So that can be a Brilliant. way to get 
it's an exclusive opportunities that way. Interesting. If you wanted to, to go to Michelin star restaurants in Japan, like good luck if the person who answers the phone like speaks in Japanese and doesn't know much English, but American Express has this handled. They have translators in every country who can get you those Michelin star restaurant reservations in French, in Italian, in Japanese. Take it, take so, it, take advantage of it, people. All right. With, with, without naming names here, I mean, other people who are the points gurus in this business that are just giving people wrong information, like what is some of that wrong information you're saying? We're not going to name and shame. We don't do that here, but what's some of that, that misinformation that's out there? A lot of people in my industry make m- most, if not all of their money just through credit card affiliate links. And so it's not necessarily wrong information. It's just they've shielded off their audience from any other ways of doing hmm. things where they're just like, and then you should get this card and then you should get this card and then you should get this card. Look, I have 20 there. cards. I'm like, well, man, that's because it's literally your job, but not everyone in your audience needs to get 20 cards. We should instead maybe focus on how do you optimize for the cards you already have and how do you stretch your points further so you don't need to keep getting more and more cards. And a lot of the free content out there is very much focused on like, here's a nice picture of a resort or a plane and here's the credit cards I used to get it. But it doesn't necessarily bridge the gap because if people burn their points in inefficient ways... They have to get a new card to get the sign-up bonuses because that's the main way that people talk about getting a lot of points is with sign-up bonuses. And so people sell more cards and that's how people make money. So it's not necessarily flat out wrong and it's not scammy or anything, but it just leaves a lot out where maybe there's different strategies there's, that could be had without just having to open more and more cards. Right. They're, li- they're, they're limiting their audience by their own monetization affiliations, so to speak. Interesting point there. Um, What's been the best point? Like uh, people know this, right? It's kind of like a a parlay. Like you have to do this to do that, to get to that, to get to this reward, to catch on that. Can you give us an example of like your most masterful, brilliant uh, points parlay? There's a couple of ways to think about this. There's what's the most Instagrammable, impressive redemption I've ever had. And the answer to that is we flew Singapore Airlines first class from Germany back to New York one time. Wow, those suites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the suites. There was a double bed in the sky. They can take the wall down. So the, like my husband and I had like the full bed. So you have a ch- separate chair and separate bed. There was Dom Perignon. That's lovely. There was crew champagne. It was, they gave us pajamas. You get to keep the pajamas. There was a candle in the amenity kit which I can only describe as it smells like crazy rich Asians. They, it was, they, they, but, they, so but they let you light a candle. No, on a plane? it specifically has a giant sign that says, this is a souvenir. Do not light on plane. Jesus. That is so, crazy. That's probably the fanciest that I've been on. And those are the ones that look good on Instagram, but there's actually a lot of ways to get a lot of value out of your points without needing to spend tens of thousands of points. Like for example, back in the day we had, to fly Denver to Lincoln, Nebraska. I think I I was on a recruiting trip or something, or I had a speaking gig at the University of Nebraska. And if you're booking through Air Canada, that distance is less than 500 physical miles. So they're going to only charge 6,000 points if you book it through Air Canada. But since Lincoln, Nebraska was such a tiny airport, it was probably a $600 flight per Mm -hmm. person each way. So we were getting a ton of points value. We were getting 10 cents per point, 
for this tiny little trip that you're nobody just racking ever. It up. Yeah, nobody ever. Really and it's corporate, so you're not paying for it, but it's going into your account. Yeah. Correct. Oh no, I think we did have to pay for my husband's flight because he was mm. like, he was just coming as a plus one. So that was how we got a lot of value without needing to spend a ton of points. And it's those little redemptions where people can really stretch out their points because if somebody thought, oh, it's a six hundred dollar flight. We're going to need to spend, what, 60,000 points on there? No, you can spend a tenth of that All and right. get the same thing. I love it. Yeah, Julie, I'm going to have to consult with you. We got, we're got we doing a family trip to Hawaii two years from right now, two years from this August. So we're going to we're gonna, you and I have a little sidebar on this one and come up with a strategy for that one. But I want to get back to the business side as we bring the show home here. At, at this point of your business, what, what has been one of those you know exciting challenges that you've had to face as you scale and grow? As we've scaled the business, um, I think – the most exciting challenge is just like figuring out what's new and different. Because three years ago, when I started my podcast, the whole thing was like, there were barely any women in in the game. There were barely any people of color who were getting any kind of recognition. And I was like, this is going to take forever Mm. to like get people to rise to the top. But it's, it's happened so fast in three years. And so now I think a lot of people are still, a lot of creators are entering the game of, oh, I'm very unique because I have like this point of view that nobody else has. But the point of view has already been had where somebody's like, oh, like we took a family of four and we got a Chase Sapphire preferred. And then we went to Hawaii with a Chase Sapphire and moved it to Hyatt points. Like the stories that people tell often have been told multiple times already. Because a lot of points, people will take the exact same trips because they're like, this is the best way to use your points. And so the audience at large just ends up hearing the same story over and over again. How do you again. tell something different? Yeah, which it'll, it'll either, um, it gets boring hearing the same story over and over again, but it also leads people to believe there's only like a handful of ways to play the game right. Whereas the whole point of the game is just to get you the travel you actually want and helping you to save a lot of money off of that. It, like, there's not a lunch table where we say, have you been to the Park Hyatt Paris Vendome? Like maybe there's a lunch table that does that, but I'm sure I've been kicked out of that lunch table already. So (laughs) it doesn't matter. Um, But I would say that's, that's been the most interesting challenge is to level up the content and then find the new exciting stories that still haven't been told because I do get the impression that a lot of people think there's a certain right way to get points. And there's like the top 10 bucket list of, are you even good at this? If you've never been to the Maldives, I haven't been to right, the Maldives. Right, if you stay at the, at the over over the water cabanas, right? Like with the slide going into it, with the sharks and shit underneath it, right? Like, yep. how about the fact if we're looking at it from a mathematical points percentage savings versus dollar versus, like how damn good I am there. And you're able to apply your deep math skills and teach people a, a pragmatic scientific approach to looking at points, right? I think that's what's going to differentiate you. And the other part, Julia, is you hit the nail on the head and that applies to podcasting. You just said it. How could I have a conversation with somebody like yourself who talks about points and everything, but talk differently? Let's talk about your career. How'd you get into this, right? Bring something different to the table each each and every time you're having a conversation. Otherwise, the audience is hearing the same shit on every other podcast. Like, how do you differentiate, right? My podcast is one of the few that does interview style. And I think this kind of goes back to most people make their money through affiliate links. And I think so many people just have this fear of, If I bring someone else on my channel who has their own affiliate links, it's basically a commodity. We're all selling the same Chase Sapphire Preferred. And then there's always this fear in the back of people's heads of, what if my audience 
likes them better than me mm-hmm. and like goes over to their channel and uses their links. I'm going to be out of money, which I keep telling people is very silly because the way to grow your podcast is to have like other people share it, which is a lot easier to do if you are featuring other people, but it's I'm still one of the, the arbitrage. only ones. It's all yes. about the arbitrage. It's, it's exciting there. So Julia, as we bring it home here, what's, what's, what's next on your travel wish list destination, either booked or you want to go to? I have a few really exciting trips coming up, going to Malaysia next week. There nice. was, there was a United Polaris sale to Japan and we are flying Japan airlines down to Malaysia, Singapore airlines on the way back. We are going to Egypt. We are flying awesome. Qatar Airways Q suites later. Oh this yeah. Year. I've seen those. Wow. That's on my hit list. Mm-hmm. 16 uninterrupted hours from Los Angeles to Doha in Q suites. I am so excited for that. We are doing Eva Airways through Taiwan into Hong Kong and Vietnam next spring. Lovely. We are doing France uh, next early summer, um, right before the Olympics. So hoping everything's like super clean um, and they're getting ready. You you don't want to get there during the Olympics. There's no point of being there. You'll get gouged every way, which way premium pricing. But I think that city will be like pre-cleaned for the Olympics. So everything's going to look so nice. not a clean city. Sorry, I love my my French folks, but. Your city's just as shitty as New York when it comes to that. Sorry, guys. You got to clean I'm, it up a little bit. Which I'm hoping they do for the cameras. So we're going right before the Olympics. So everything's going to be clean for us. And then we don't have to get gouged by pricing. All right. So, I got I, I to gotta, I gotta ask you this. What's best and worst airlines out there and why right now? Best airlines as far as like experience? Exp- overall. Experience, value, travel, customer service. The one that I keep coming back to is Singapore Airlines. We've flown their business class twice already and we're flying them a third time. They just, they have it together so well. And you can find the flights for cheaper on Air Canada than Singapore Airlines website. But the food is so good. Their service is just amazing. And we haven't even flown them from Singapore yet. So I'm excited to experience that lounge in a little, under a couple of weeks. The new one. So I that one's great. amazing. Um as far as worst airlines, domestic and international. I mean, I flew Allegiant, and I they had this giant sign that was like, "If we have to print your boarding pass, we're gonna like charge you an extra five dollars." <laughs> and just really the nickel and diming. I'm just like, just just bake it in. Just charge Southwest, me a hundred dollars. Right? Yeah, I like Southwest more than I like um, those super low cost carriers because Southwest has some good hacks with companion pass and those other things. People get mad that they have to pay to like board early and like it's chaos but if you know how to work the southwest system there's some good hacks that can be had there with like allegiant and frontier i just i haven't really found a good way to hack those and i'm at that point in my life where i don't like being nickel and dime i'm just like just charge me what you want to charge deliver something good and we are good to go from there uh, I love I it. So what's, what's that one message, Julie, that you would have for people that feel stuck in the nine to five and they're looking to get out and they just don't know how? I say this as somebody who has spent her career optimizing for stuff. There is life to be lived outside of spreadsheets, outside of formulas. I know earlier we were talking about like, oh, how do you optimize cents per point math? And I've talked to so many people in the points world where they're so obsessive, like, And then I got 17 cents per point. And most of their neighbors and family members do not know what that means and do not care. Like, just enjoy, like, figure out what you want to do. Work backwards from there and how to make it happen and enjoy that. And if you're in a nine to five that you hate and you're like, I want to just do something else. 
it would behoove you to figure out what is that thing that you want to do before you just, again, slap your boss and rage quit. Um, kind of figuring out like, what is it Jerry I want to do? On them. Yep. Yeah. What do I want to do? Working backwards from there, you can, you can apply that same framework that we use in points to anything else in life. Because if you go in with that focused view, it's just going to be so much better than trying to get your arms around everything and figuring out all possibilities. That exact same framework applies almost everywhere. I love it, Julie. I love it. I, I mean, I have to hit the sound effect button there. I haven't used it all show there. Um, two questions to bring it home here. Uh, what, what would you say is your superpower? What do you do better than anyone on this planet that makes you who you are? I am pretty good at figuring out other people's perspectives and being able to say like, here's what you're good at. Whenever I interview people on my podcast, we get a lot of people where it's their first time ever being interviewed for anything. And they're like, I don't even know what I want to talk about. But after like five minutes or so of chatting with someone, I'm like, oh, we haven't had this story before. Not, not a lot of people know that. I think a lot of people forget, especially in the points world, that they have some kind of specialized knowledge that not everybody knows. Just because everybody's covering the same story doesn't mean there's other stories that haven't, that, that can't be told. Exactly. And so finding those stories and getting those out of other people is something that I, I like to pride myself on. I love it. I feel a commonality there with, with that one. And last but not least, Julie, you look back on your life and times haven't always been easy. We've all gone through our struggles, but you look back at those moments. We had to dig down deep and harness that inner tenacity to pull you up and forward. And now you look at this life outside of corporate America, traveling all around the world, these destinations that you've dreamed of and teaching other people how to do that. And you have gratitude, appreciation. What keeps you focused? What is your compass? Julia Menz, what is your North Star in life? I would say that having the right partner really can make or break the situation. Like if you are Amen. in a tough situation with money, actuarial exams, whatever it is, just like having somebody there is who you can bounce ideas off of and talk to and have like a good support system is very, very very important and will get you through a lot of things. And conversely, if stuff is going okay, but you have somebody who's just kind of dragging you down for whatever reason, um, that will break a business super fast. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs can attest to their, their partner and their support system being the make or break. So that's Amen. what I would say to that. Amen. Amen. Julie, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all your words of wisdom, actionable advice. And if you people who are listening want to find out more and check out the free Points 101 course, go to geobreezetravel.com backslash free course. I will link it up in the show notes. Follow Julie on Instagram at geobreezetravel and YouTube. You guessed it, geobreezetravel. Uh, Julia, anywhere else that I miss anything where folks could find you and connect with you? Those are going to be the main places to find me. Our YouTube, Instagram, Download the free course. We do free credit card consults. Um, once you download the free course, you'll be on the newsletter and you can find a bunch of extra exclusive stuff through there. I love it. Good stuff. Julia, thank you so much for joining us. Hang with me for one moment as we sign off. Well, awesome, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If this show resonated with you, sharing means caring. Please leave a link, a review. It goes a long way. You know where to find out more at thepodcast.com. Follow us on other social media channels. Remember, look out for each other, take care of one another, and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. 
Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.